0: Four texts I would have us read this morning. First, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6.
1: Malachi 3, verse 6. For
0: I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I, the Lord, do not
2: change. Then,
0: all the way back to the book of Numbers, the 23rd chapter. It's from the story of Balaam and Balak. Balak the king asking Balaam, trying to bribe Balaam into cursing Israel. And with the ins and outs of that exchange, Balaam says, Numbers 23, verse 18, and Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or he has spoken,
2: and will he not fulfill it?
1: First Samuel, now, the fifteenth chapter.
2: First Samuel fifteen. And the Lord's rejection of Saul
0: as king. In reading at verse 26, and Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. And then finally, the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, Thirteenth chapter, Hebrews 13, as the writer is drawing his letter here to a close. he will say in the seventh verse, Hebrews 13, I'll wait for a moment, some of you are still turning. I wonder if there shouldn't be a sound for apps of pages turning. Um, Hebrews 13, verse 7, remember your leaders... Those who spoke to you the word of God consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith in this glorious statement. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever.
2: This is the word of our God. Let's
1: pray.
0: Father, By word and by spirit now help us that we rightly see and hear and understand this, your word. Grant us the grace we must have. By your spirit, may the word be fruitful. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Change is very much a part of all of our lives. You consider the last few years, the political and social upheavals have pretty much left us disoriented. We've experienced so many changes in the past few years that it's just simply bewildering. Just one illustration of this. Uh, It used to be that if you fill out a form for uh, the government for something or for employment, there were two boxes you could check, male or female. Well, a brother here sent me a link to a new news article in San Francisco, there's a new program which is guaranteed income, first of all, for transgender persons. And when you fill out the form,
2: there are not two options.
0: There's not three. There's not four. There are 130 different gender sexuality options which you may select from." 130. Not only is that bewildering, but the readiness of so many so-called leaders in our culture to accommodate these kinds of change is simply staggering. Just this week it became apparent a piece of legislation is about To be brought into effect called, and so horribly misnamed, the Respect for Marriage Act is going to come to the floor of the Senate because 10 ostensibly conservative senators went along to
2: bring it to the floor, including one of our own.
0: And by the way, if you're not paying attention, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act is basically to codify that marriage is no longer defined as a man and a woman, but can be any combination. Now you say, well, no, it just, all it did was make same-sex marriage. My friend, once you cross the Rubicon, ain't no going back. There are already areas on the eastern seaboard that are advocating for and getting Allowance for multi-partnered
1: marriages. And people wonder why we're cynical.
0: The transitory nature of our lives makes what we're going to talk about today even more comforting. Our lives are filled with change. Now, some of this change is simply verbiage. Here's what I mean by that. Marriage means one thing, one thing only. You can do all the legislating you want to do, but marriage is one thing. Time immemorial, one man, one woman in a lifetime covenant. That is marriage. I don't care what the government calls it, I don't care what anybody else calls it. You can call any other union, you can take that name, but the name has thus been emptied of any meaning. But that's not the only thing we see
2: out of control. The fact is, if we look at our own lives, change, right? That horrible moment when you look in the mirror and there's an old person staring back at you that looks bewildered.
0: And I will contend that the majority of our problem here, folks, is that we are so incredibly human-centered, man-centered, that we we leave ourselves open to the give and take, the ebb and flow, the flood of human
1: change.
0: Spurgeon said, "It's been said by some." that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom He calls His Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with, and then we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought, behold, I'm wise. But when we come to the master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and our eagle eye cannot see its height, no subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. Now I'm going to let you in on a little secret, folks. This has been some of the toughest preparation I've had to do. And mostly that is because of the greatness of our God in the inadequacy of a mere mortal to try to grasp it, in some sense master it in a very small way, and then convey it. Since everything in our lives changes, we think God must change as well. We don't know how to handle the idea of an immutable That is changeless God. We look in the nature. The decay is widespread and happens over a long period of time. But you see, even the sun constantly dissipates its energy and will eventually cool. The earth also runs down. Highly complex and active elements, such as radioactive materials, decay to less active ones. Things change. On the individual level, men and women are born, grow, age, and eventually die. Nothing that we know lasts forever. This is one of the great distinctions between creator and created. So what are we declaring? The big word is immutability. That is, God doesn't change. God is unchanging. Our God is always the same in His eternal being. Consider this first, God unchanging, an essential doctrine. This is seen in all evangelical confessions in some fashion. Even the uh, Second London Confession, the 1689, kind of the baptized version of Westminster has a statement on who God is. The Lord our God is one, the only living and true God. He is self-existent and infinite in being and perfection. His essence cannot be understood by anyone but Him. He is perfectly pure spirit. He is invisible and has no body, parts, or changeable emotions. He alone has immortality, dwelling in light that no one can approach. He is unchangeable, immense, Eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, in every way infinite, absolutely holy, perfectly wise, wholly free, completely absolute. What is it
2: we're affirming? God's life doesn't change.
0: He doesn't get stronger or weaker or wiser. First Timothy six sixteen who alone has immortality we are affirming god's character doesn't change he's not a cosmic jekyll and hyde jeremiah 29:11 i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope god's truth does not change the grass withers flower fades But the word of our God stands forever. God's ways don't change. Whether promises or threatenings, they do not change. God's purposes do not change. God's son does not change. Now, as I say that, some of you have already been thinking. Pastor, there's places in the Bible that say God relented. Or if you're using an older King James, that God repented. So how does that work? You're saying God never changes. He is immutable. How does that work? Well, let's pick two or three of those and consider for a moment. Back in the book of Genesis, after the account of the fall, the first murder in the fifth chapter, where you get, in essence, this lengthy genealogy of death, Adam lived so many years, had a son, lived so many more years, and what happened? He died. Seth lived so many years, had a son, lived so many more years, and what he do? Died. And while you read that Genesis, the fifth chapter, and the pattern doesn't break. The pattern doesn't break. The pattern doesn't break until you get to Enoch. After Enoch had lived so many years and begotten a son,
2: Methuselah, Enoch walked with God, and he was
0: not, for God took him. Broke the pattern, but after that it goes back, same thing. So many years, a son, so many more years, died Over and over again, which transitions us to that sixth chapter where you read, the Lord looks at creation, what he's made at humanity. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on, in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart.
2: Hold on. Exodus, 32nd chapter. Moses up on the mountain with God. Israel
0: camped at the foot of the mountain. And right there, and folks, if this doesn't tell you something about human nature, you're simply not paying attention. There in the shadow of the Almighty on Mount Sinai, they build idols and said, Behold, O Israel, the gods who led you out of Egypt.
2: Thus the breaking of the tablets and the
0: tragedy but in the midst of it the Lord will say say what I'm done with this bunch I'm going to kill them I'll make a nation out of you Moses and we'll move forward at that time <laughs> that tells you something about the way the Lord sees time doesn't it he's willing to wait until Moses has a few generations of descendants and go into the land but Moses pleads for the people right and he pleads for the glory of God's name. We read in Exodus 32:14 and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people.
1: Hmm. How about one more? Jonah. I
2: dearly
0: love the book of Jonah. I look at that, I just there is so much in that text. But you remember how this goes? Jonah finally, under, shall we say, duress, (laughs) makes his way to Nineveh. And he goes through the city preaching. God is going to bring judgment on Nineveh. Nineveh is doomed. Nineveh is doomed. And they heard him. And they repent, or at least they make the attempt. And such a thorough repentance. It wasn't just that the people put on this rough sackcloth and sat in ashes and wept. They put sackcloth on the animals, the livestock. Everybody in Nineveh was in repentance mode. Even the milk cows. And you read at the end of that third chapter that the Lord, verse verse 10, chapter 3, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Preacher, you just said God doesn't change. And now you've read three texts where it says God relented. But let's see if we can get this right in principle. I think Jonah is the best, honestly, to help us do this. Because the fourth chapter opens with this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew, I knew you're a gracious God and merciful." slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Wow. That's what's known in hermeneutical circles when you do interpretation as a hissy fit. I I don't want to lose you in the technical language, but that's, that's how we see that. But do you see what Jonah confesses? I knew you were a gracious God and merciful. See, we've always got to keep the context of the passage in mind. And whether you talk about the flood, or whether you talk about what happened at Sinai, or whether you talk about what happened here with Nineveh, keep the context in mind. In this case, it appears this was the Lord's plan all along. In fact, Jonah says so. From our perspective, God changes his mind. God being gracious to us uses terms we can understand. And this is found throughout the scripture, right? We're told in one place, the hand of the Lord. But God is non-corporeal and he has no hand. The arm of the Lord revealed. God doesn't have arms. The feet of the Lord No. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, beholding it. No. That's accommodation to us. It's to help us see a reality. Matt Barrett does it this way. Relenting and regretting is our human way of observing a change from our perspective, one that occurs in the moment. But from the bird's eye point of view... Such accommodated language interpreted in context never meant to undermine God's immutability, but it highlights how an immutable God's eternal will is received by very mutable, that's us, changeable, finite creatures like you and me. See, my friend, God doesn't change. If He changed for the better, it would mean He was less than perfect prior to the change. If he changed for the worse, he would not be perfect either. It being that one time he was perfect and then he became imperfect. Immutability this attribute the old puritan Stephen Charnock called the glory that belongs to all the other attributes. He does not
1: change. So what?
0: God unchanging. So what? Let me show you the comforting reality of this Christian. James Boyce, God is the fixed point in a churning and decaying universe for those who love him. And folks, this is found throughout the text of Scripture. In fact, it's what inspired Augustus Toplady to write the hymn. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. There are over and over again biblical illustrations of God's immutability. Whenever David is finally delivered from his enemies, including Saul, his testimony in 2 Samuel 22, David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on that day when the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said... The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you save me from violence. Later in that same chapter, verse 32. For who is God but the Lord and who is a rock except our God? Malachi what we read at the beginning of the service. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Who is it? It's the Lord, to whom is it told the children of Jacob. And what happens? They are not consumed because God doesn't change in His mercy, in His grace, in His kindness. Throughout the book of Malachi, what stands out is the contrast between a God who is faithful and a whole nation that isn't. James, his letter. In fact, we read that as part of our responsive reading this morning, but a little further in the text, having talked about suffering. Were not, please understand, folks, this stuff is not just theoretical. Yes, it exercises the brain a little bit, it may cause you a little bit of intellectual sweating. You feel overwhelmed. But my friend, the way this works out in reality is James will tell us suffering is part of God's purpose in our lives. Nothing happens to us except by his will and his purpose. He does not change. And he says later in that same first chapter, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change.
2: Christian, here is your comfort. God's not going to change his mind about saving you. Not going to happen.
0: He already knows you, and he has made up his mind. It is eternally settled. Let me give you this little aside, and I think this is gloriously accurate. You Ready? If you could lose it, you would. If it depends on me to stay saved, I am forever damned. I will never make it. He does not
2: change. Now that is a
0: comfort for believers. But it's not just a comfort to believers, it's also a sobering certainty for those who are not. God unchanging. For those who have no love for the Lord, for those who do not love Jesus Christ, for those living in rebellion to God, this truth is absolutely terrifying that God is changeless. Now, we live in an era in which there's all sorts of talk about spirituality and even some God talk. Along the way. And over and over again, horribly inaccurate, yea, blasphemous things are attributed to the God that I would call the idol
2: of popular culture. Not the true God.
0: See, there are those who want to see God in some way evolving and changing. And so they'll contend that either he's misrepresented by Scripture or he's misrepresented by Christians.
2: My friends, hear what I'm
0: about to say. The God of popular American culture, popular Western culture, is nothing more than the idolatrous imagination of rebellious sinners who try to make their God look more compassionate and noble than the God of Scripture. It's not hard to see examples. There are those out there who will contend that God is pro-abortion, or at least that He's pro-choice. Somehow I've heard this, I've heard ostensible ministers of the gospel say such horrible things. The one who said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The one who said in Psalm 139, And when you hear people make those kinds of contentions, realize all you're hearing is a contention for idolatry. It is not the one true God. Others create this idolatrous view that God is the source of gender confusion. How many times have we read, have we heard somebody say, well God made me this way. You understand there's no doctrine of sin with this idolatry unless it's the sin of disagreeing with them. You do grasp that, right? The only sin is not to get on board
2: with this view of life.
0: But the God of Scripture says through Paul, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Underline that. You want to see humanity's biggest problem? You exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passion. Further, women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, folks, I'm here to tell you that you will not stand against this cultural headwind, this flood. If you do not believe in the absolute unchanging nature of God, immutable in his power, authority, and character, he will not be changed. Be careful, my friend, that you do not sully the character of God nor misrepresent him. Isaiah will say in the 44th chapter, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who's like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it, and you are my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any or in Isaiah 55 seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way the unrighteous his thoughts let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. My friend, if you do not know the Lord Jesus today, do not think that by some mental gymnastics you may come up with a God
2: whom you find acceptable. Do not deceive yourself into damnation. There is one true
1: God.
0: And he is the God who does not change. Your only hope, my friend, is in the one he sent
2: to be the Savior. Jesus Christ, our Lord.
0: Repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what rescues you.
2: And Christian, no
0: doubt you have felt the pressure in some ways. And it's going to show up, it'll show up even more and more now. How do you
2: hold on How do you stand? By
0: knowing your God doesn't change. His promises are true. What he's guaranteed will be. Now, he does not guarantee you a comfortable life. And for some in America today, I think there's
2: some stunning things about to happen. when you don't get on board with the program, when you will not bend the knee to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar of our own era, oh, we may not go to a furnace, but we may find ourselves jobless. We may find ourselves friendless
1: we may find ourselves treated like the scum of the earth. Christian, behold your God. As we pull this together
2: here
0: at the end, I know for some there's probably still something of a question. Now, now preacher, you're, you're asking an awful lot of us. You know, you're throwing out these words, and they're kind of large. And it's deep things to think about. And you, you know, pastor, I'm just, I'm just trying to get through this week. Didn't do so well last week. Give me, you know, How do I get through this week? Christian, lay hold of this. He doesn't change. Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, forever. This is how you can have an anchor point in a time when there are none. As we have lived to see the day where the most prominent cultural lie is that all of us individually may decide what reality is.
1: We can decide whether or not we are male or female.
2: We can decide if we're part human and part animal. And we can dress it up with all sorts of pseudoscientific language. In what I fear is going to yield either the rule of the mob,
0: it's hard to keep 360 million people who want to have their individual views of reality together, not a workable plan by the way, or an opportunity for scoundrels to seize power at the highest level in terms of totalitarianism.
2: Are you ready to stand,
1: Christian? Behold your God. Sinclair Ferguson
0: put it this way The goal of theology is the worship of God, the posture of theology.
2: Is on one's knees. The mode
0: of theology is repentance. Everyone here has had some less than accurate views of who God is. We have some repenting to do, don't we? And when we hear such glorious truth, does it drive us to worship? Do we pray for the Lord to change our hearts?
2: Our minds. One final.
0: I know for some, you're saying, preacher, how is this going to help me? You say it, but I'm not sure. Christian, how, how many of you believers today, how many of you would like to be better at this than you are right now? Hmm? Okay. Majority.
1: some of you apparently pretty good. (laughs) I want you to hear these words. And we'll draw this to a close. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers,
0: by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed
2: by, in the next words, the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, perfect. Would you see your life transformed? Be transformed here first. Let the
0: mind be transformed and sanctified and the life becomes transformed and sanctified.
1: Behold I the Lord Change not, so you're not consumed. Let's pray. Our Father, such glorious, encouraging, and overwhelming realities.
0: May we know, our Father, that you are a fixed point for us. You are the rock. You are our salvation.
1: May we rest in knowing that our God does not change.
2: What he has promised, he will do
0: what you have declared will come to pass. While our lives are just in common, ordinary ways changed and shifted through failed health, through aging, through circumstances over which we have no control, while it at times feels like the ground under us is moving, may we find ourselves
2: very much established on the rock the Lord Jesus, who is the same yesterday,
1: today, and forever.
2: May we now worship with great joy. We ask it in Christ's name.
1: Amen.